Welcome to the Art of Humanity with Jessica Ann. Listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Explore creativity and consciousness. Evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's your host, Jessica Ann. Welcome to another episode of The Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness to allow you and your business to evolve. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Ira Haberman. Ira is the director of storytelling at Brain Rider. He's a Grateful Dead listener, a Toronto Blue Jay watcher, a dad, and the host of the Ira Haberman Experience. Here I am. Hi, Ira. So nice to talk with you. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. So we have so much in common with your background in radio, to being a storyteller, to yeah. really what you do now. Why don't you kind of give me and our listeners a little bit of your background? I mean, you started in radio just because you have such an appreciation for your audience. Yeah. And yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I started in radio. My goal, I think from the time I was six years old, was to be a sports reporter. And so growing up, that's all I wanted to do. And eventually, I actually, in 1997, got the chance to cover my beloved Toronto Blue Jays uh, while working at a radio station here in Toronto called CFRB, uh, which is, you know, uh, the largest news talk radio station in the country. And what was so exciting was that I actually was walking in the halls with some of my idols, some of the people I grew up listening to. So it was a really exciting and overwhelming experience, and uh, it's something that I will cherish forever. And so I grew up kind of at this point in, in the world where radio was becoming less and less compelling, and this notion of digital, whether it was the web or social media, became much more of a compelling way to tell stories. And so luckily for me, uh, as I uh, graduated from a career in radio, I graduated into um, the digital group at the radio company that I had been working for. And so it allowed me to continue to have some connection to radio, which is obviously a, a platform that I love and have a very romantic feel for. But understand that, you know, the digital age is upon us and this notion of connecting um, via the internet is is way more prevalent than obviously a radio. And so I transitioned into into a career in digital and initially it was, you know, as a as the digital director of content for one of Canada's largest broadcasters, Chorus Entertainment, where I helped uh, create the strategy, uh, not just for the radio station websites, but for their social media and for the kind of content that they had on their website. And so I was very in tune with all of the things that I loved about in radio, but now I was able to do it in, in a digital way. So that's kind of how my career evolved and that's kind of how my story evolved. And it's, it's kind of exciting. It sounds very exciting. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that. You mentioned that when you first started working in radio, you had the ability to interact with some of your idols. Who exactly were you talking and interacting with back then? Yeah. So you know what? There, there were people, and I'm not sure if um, American listeners will know these names, but there was a man named Bill Stevenson who was the sports director at CFRB here in Toronto. And he, uh, well, towards the end was a, a crotchety old man, but he had one of those uh, – 
well-recognized voices. And so I, you know, under his tutelage, I went and asked questions of, you know, the the Blue Jays of the day or the Toronto Raptors of the day. And he would tell me the kinds of questions to ask and to get the kind of answers that we needed for for air. And then, I, you know, I also worked in the newsroom with, with the likes of Bill Carroll, who is you now um, – now works in San Francisco. Sorry, he works in L.A. Um, and I worked with uh, Dave Agar, who's an idol of mine. So I worked with a lot of these really uh, important people in Canadian broadcasting. And I did it at a really young age. And so they they really taught me the ropes and they taught me how to be in a more effective storyteller. And so I'm gr- so grateful for that opportunity. And I was so grateful to do it at, at, at such a young age because it really put me on the path of uh, of great work, I think. And speaking of great work, tell me a little bit more about your transition from radio into the digital world. Was it pretty seamless for you or how much did you have to learn from scratch? Well, you know what? I've always been a bit of a a geek. And so I've always toiled around with uh, new technology and stuff. And so I had always been fooling around with the internet and even before our radio stations had websites. And I know that my boss in this digital group created the first uh, website for Q107, which is the big classic rock station here in Toronto and, and probably the largest in the country. And so he brought me into the digital group and it was a very easy transition because um, I was very comfortable with the technology and the kinds of things we were doing. But more to the point, I think, and you'll probably agree with me, but the core of telling a story never changes, no matter what the medium is. And so being able to translate the excitement around a new U2 record on the air versus being able to translate it in a story online or uh, interviewing members of U2 for a podcast or for a digital interview, that stuff never changes. The only thing that changes really is the container or the place where people come to watch it or listen to it. So I think it was a pretty easy transition and a very exciting one. And I'm, I'm so glad that I, I made that change in about 2005 or six. Awesome. So tell me, let's go back to this U2 analogy or this U2 example that you mentioned. You're right. The story never does change. It's more just about how you fit it to a particular platform so that you can engage with your audience. Would you agree? Yeah, totally. And so for me, uh, as a storyteller, and particularly when I do interviews, I make it less about me and more about the audience who's listening to the interview. So, you know, I've grown up listening to people like Howard Stern or uh, even Larry King, and I tend to uh, err on the side of asking questions that other people won't ask, but asking the questions that people really want you to ask. And so I try to develop a rapport with the people that I talk to so that I can get the most out of them so that the audience is really delighted by the kinds of responses they have. So for me, it really is about being a vehicle for the audience, an ambassador for the audience when I uh, interview, but also when I think about writing stories and stuff. So what inspires me is not what I put into the story, but actually what people will get out of the story. And so I think that's a little bit different. For me, I really am audience-oriented first more than anything. It's It really is less about me as a storyteller and more about the audience who's listening to the story. And that has everything to do with the kind of language I use, um, the tone, the kinds of questions I ask, or even the people who I interview. You know, it's very easy to interview uh, stars of the day, 
But I tend to err on uh, asking and talking to, and, and specifically um, when I did interviews, music interviews, I tended not to talk to the stars. I tended to talk to the people who were just a level um, below, about to break through. So when Mumford and Sons first came through Toronto and nobody knew who they were, I talked to them. When uh, Dawes as a band came through Toronto and nobody knew who they were, I talked to them. Of course, I've had the unbelievable privilege of talking to Nickelback and Carrie Underwood and Little Big Town and, and some other huge, amazing acts. But, um, you know, for me, it really is more exciting to talk to some of these up and comers because you get a chance to expose them to an audience that maybe uh, they wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. Storytellers have this intense passion for what they do. And I'm curious, why are you a storyteller? Is there a deeper layer to it? Yeah, there is. And it's, it's, I think, you know, we're going to get very psychological here. Yeah, let's do it. I think it stems from um, my need for attention and for my need to be uh, heard. And so what's exciting for me is being able to be heard and related to by my audience. And so that's kind of what drives this, this idea for me of storytelling um, it's not enough. You know, when I when I was in in grade school, I was always the class clown because I sought attention and I never really put it together until I started thinking about my career and my aspirations and all of that. And really it is it really is about this uh, need to be fulfilled by uh, the attention and by the audience, which is, you know, sounds really horrible uh, and really egotistical. But it's not that it's about this is this is what I have to offer as Ira Haberman. And so uh, if it means that uh, I am able to uh, be the vehicle to introduce people to new topics or new ideas or new ways of thinking because I have a big mouth and I can uh, ask tough questions or even easy questions and uh, uh, engage with people and have people turned on to new things because of the way I engage with people, then that's that's really cool. And so it's less – it's not meant to come across as arrogant or egotistical. I think it really was is that this is my purpose. My purpose is to uh, help tell other people's stories and help kind of be the megaphone for other people and more to the point connect those people with – with an audience. And so if, if that's my purpose in life, then I want to be able to fulfill that role as best as I possibly can. It seems like you have the personality for it. You're pretty well aware of yourself and what you can bring into the world. And that's awesome. I really commend you for that. When you're putting together a story for your audience, what are the main components for a great story? Yeah. Well, the first thing for me is always, I consider the audience. I mean, that is, the most important thing. And when I talk about audience, you know, I don't necessarily mean to talk about them in terms of a demographic or a psychographic. I really mean to talk to them as uh, a person, another human being. And so, you know, there are great people like Brian Kramer, who certainly brought this idea of human to human contact to light. And so for me, it's really about how I would tell a story to my daughter or my cousin or uh, a friend. So for me, it's really about uh, the audience. And I don't care if the audience is 11 or 65. I kind of try to talk, talk to them in a relatable way. So that for sure is, is really important. The audience for me is, is 
of critical importance. Uh, the next thing for me, like there's kind of seven steps for me for, for, for digital storytelling. And I don't know if we want to go through all of them, but the other thing for me is really about, uh, the way in which the story is delivered and the medium in which it's delivered. So sometimes you can tell a story really neatly with, and you do this all the time with a great photograph or inspirational language, or in your case, the great quotes that you put up on your Instagram site. And, and so there are different modes to telling a story. And so I don't think that there's one that's more important than the other, but I think all of them are really great. The other thing that I think is really important is that I try to make all of my stories relatable. And so when I tell a story, uh, I try to relate it to something else. So uh, a little earlier, I, I mentioned that, you know, it doesn't matter for me about demographics because ultimately what's important is the way in which the topic resonates with the audience. And so it doesn't really matter about the age of the audience because what matters is how you relate the topic to the audience. So the story I always give is my 11-year-old daughter who doesn't really fit in any of the same demographic buckets that I fit in because she's 11 and she's a woman or a young lady. She loves the Toronto Blue Jays almost as much as I do. And so when I talk to her about the Toronto Blue Jays, I try to give her as much information as I possibly can to make it as relevant for her as uh, she needs it to be. When I talk to her little sister about the Toronto Blue Jays, I try not to go into great detail, but I tell her about the stars or the big play or something exciting about the game or or something exciting that happened during the game. And so for her, that story is a little bit different. So what I try to do is I try to make the story as relatable to the audience as, as, as possible. And I think that goes a long way to engaging the audience. The fourth and final thing that I'll mention uh, for for um, for this is that I tend to try and use uh, emotional language and I try to evoke emotion when I'm talking. So if I'm really excited and I'm really psyched to tell a story, I'm going to use language that provokes the audience to listen and, and uh, attempt to get a visceral response from the audience. If I'm uh, monotone and uh, boring, then I know what kind of uh, – uh, response I will get from the audience. So my goal when telling a story and whether that's talking to somebody or even writing it is to try and use emotional language and try to be very direct with that emotional language so that it has an impact. And I think uh, we, we, we tend to forget the importance of language and how, uh, how critical language is when telling a story and how critical emotional language is when telling a story. And so there are times where I overdo it and use words that, um, maybe, um, a bit dramatic, uh, for effect, but there are times when uh, I cool out because I just want people to listen to the, the key message of the story and not necessarily the language that I'm using. So for me, language becomes incredibly important. And, and certainly, um, uh, when writing content, uh, emotional language is of critical importance because if you want to get, if you want to get your item shared, the piece of content that you're writing, if your goal is to, is to get that piece of content shared, Using emotional language will certainly drive the mobility of your content. Give me an example of like a before and then what you would do to change it to give more emotion to the topic. Okay, Not to put you on the spot or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all good. <laughs> Show yeah. me how you work, Ira. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is great. Okay, so but I think so. Here are the, the, the few things that I think are really important about emotional language. The first thing is, is 
always being able to use a personal pronoun, whether it's you or your or um, he or she, but more, more importantly, you or your. I think using personal pronouns and headlines is critically important because it draws you in. Uh, the second thing that I think is critically important uh, when using emotional language is using superlatives. So it's always nice to color the language or color um, uh, the, the piece that you're writing, specifically the headline, with a little bit more than just what you initially thought of. So the key thing for me is you know, using a personal pronoun, using superlatives, and using colorful language to evoke emotion out of your audience. And so if you are able to connect with the audience's head and heart, you are bound to do a lot better than if you don't take the extra time to try and connect with their head and heart. And so that's what I try to do. I'm either speaking or when I'm writing or when I'm uh, even designing like a little graphic for Instagram or whatever, I try to connect with people on an emotional level because I know ultimately that is what is going to drive attention to the piece of content that I've created and the story uh, that I want to share. The future is crazy with different ways where we can share our stories. Mm -hmm. Where should we be telling our story these days? Is there a particular platform that stands out more than another? Well, so I think I think the importance of storytelling is understanding where your audience is, and that's where you should be telling your story. So for me, I know that my audience um, likes to listen. Um, to podcasts, and I know my audience likes to uh, follow me on Twitter and on on Facebook and a little bit on LinkedIn, and so that's where I tend to share my content. I think if you go into this notion of sharing content with the notion that you are going to share on every single platform, a you're going to uh, dilute your message because you're just not going to be able to tell it as well on every platform. And B, I'm not sure how many people are actually going to listen to you on every single platform. So I think it really does come down to where the audience is. And I have this little saying where I say swim with your fishies. You know, so mm -hmm. I tell businesses um, uh, in a practical way that you know, if they're going to invest the time in, in content development, they should be sharing that content where they're fishies. And I, I know the plural of fish is fish, but I say fishy, <laughs> fishies anyway because I'm cute. Like a two-year-old. Yeah, like a two-year-old. <laughs> Thanks for that. I'm cute like that. Um, you, are, you are cute like that. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's what I say. I say, you know, if you're going to invest the time, then be smart about where you share your content. Be sharp, smart about where you share your story. And then take advantage of the platforms. You know, Instagram is all about visual cues. And so if you're going to tell your story on Instagram, be really smart about the kind of content and take the time to take a great photograph and take the time to – Make sure that you know your font isn't too dark or or your font is too light on the picture that you're uh, creating. Or if you're going to spend the time to take video and put it up on YouTube, make sure that it doesn't look like – well, in some cases, it's good to make sure that a nine-year-old did it. But take the time to at least be kind of pro about the kind of content that you're creating for the platform it's on. And so I think those are the two key messages from from all of the stuff that's going on is – be cognizant of where your audience is. And then if you choose the platform where you know your audience is, create great content for that platform. 
You mentioned that your audience listens to podcasts. How do you tell your story on a podcast when you're continuously interviewing other guests? Yeah, so I think it's really about the kind of guests that I bring on to the show. So uh, for me, uh, the Ira Haberman experience is about three things, marketing, media, and music, which are three things that you know I think define who I am from a professional perspective kind of point of view, but also from a personal point of view. You know, I, I really am a huge music fan and I spend a lot of time listening to music, but I also spend a lot of time thinking about media and how we're marketed to and how I help people market to other people. And so really for me, um, I think my audience is interested in those three topics because they're obviously interested in listening uh, to me and have found me for some reason, for some strange, nefarious reason. They've been able to find me. And so um, I think it's really cool that um, I'm able to tell and draw out my story through the contributors that we have on, on, on the Ira Haberman Experience podcast. Awesome. And your podcast is doing well? Yeah. Lots of people are raving about it. I got this uh, – it's so interesting to see how this thing spreads. You know, when I – it's interesting. I started doing a podcast because I had produced a few really big podcasts when back in my radio days, back in my radio digital days. And so I thought to myself, wow, it seems to me that podcasting hasn't gone away, that it's, it's actually burgeoning. It's becoming a really big thing. And I I know I could do this and I just have – I've been really lazy about doing my own podcast and so why couldn't I do it? So I I called some favors into some friends who, who put together kind of you know the show and uh, it's been going really well. The feedback has been really great and it's uh, really slickly produced if I do say so myself and so it's, it's, going, it's going as expected, uh, you know. There are people who are really into it, and I don't just mean my mom and uh, friends, but I mean actual people who I care a lot about because there are people who are involved in this business of marketing and digital marketing who really dig what I'm doing. So yeah, it's going it's going quite well. People have different versions of success. I mean, whether you want to be a millionaire or whether you just want to give back to humanity, what is your version of success, Ira? Yeah, so for me... It's not about being a millionaire. Uh, for me, it's about um, um, giving back and letting people into things that they wouldn't normally have a seat at the table to. So, you know, for me, it's really about creating community around um, thoughts and ideas that I think are, are universal. Uh, I, it's really about uh, giving back um, with my creativity. I think it's about... Um, giving back with um, storytelling. I think it's about um, giving back and, and at the end of the day, people saying, you know, that guy Ira Haberman, he told a really good story or I remember when Ira Haberman told us about this or uh, I wouldn't have known about this band if it weren't for Ira Haberman or we wouldn't have done this creative treatment on, a, on, a, on something if it weren't for Ira Haberman. So for me, it really is about giving back in that way. And so, yeah, there are practical things that need to happen in one's life in order to sustain a life like, you know, money for a roof over the head and to feed the kids and all of that. But for me, it's less about that and it's about really trying to connect the dots for people and, uh, and do it in, a, in a, a succinct and exciting way. I love it. I love your answer. That's great. Where can people, where can listeners find you online, Ira? 
People can follow me on Twitter at Ira Haberman, at I-R-A-H-A-B-E-R-M-A-N. They can uh, find my podcast. Find my podcast. Or your pipecast. <laughs> or my pipecast, something. They can find my po- <laughs> They can find my – yeah, that's really good. Listen to the guy that can't speak English. <laughs> he has a great podcast. You can find my podcast uh, online at iTunes or Stitcher. If you just search for my name, uh, you'll be able to find it. And uh, I'm around. Like, you know, if, if you're interested in finding me, there are – multiple ways of doing so and I'd love to hear from you because uh, I love hearing about people's stories and I love sharing um, them with other people. So there you go. Thank you so much for joining me today on the show, Ira. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cheers. Hello, listeners of my podcast. If you're enjoying my show, it would mean so much to me if you would leave a review on the iTunes store. Thanks for listening to The Art of Humanity. Please follow us on Twitter at It's Jessica Ann. Join us next week with your host, Jessica Ann. Evolve your business with The Art of Humanity.